All right, so let's go now to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, we're going to read this morning verses 1 to 16. But there is a verse that I'm going to focus on more than any others in here, and that is in verse 8. So keep that in mind as we read through this together. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through to 16. This gives us a, a good context together. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father... Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Honour widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show plenty at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone, trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives, and these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works." If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry their children and manage the house, give no opportunity uh, to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who really are widows. This is the word of the Lord. And would you pray with me before we dive into this together. Lord God, as we spend time now discussing this idea of Christians having possessions and wealth, we pray that you might humble each one of us. This is a topic which is difficult, it's hard to come to grips with, and it's one which is very often a quiet indicator of our spiritual well-being. So we pray that we might be attentive to your word this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As I um, start this, I, I mentioned in, in Bible study a few weeks ago, I think it was when we are up to the seventh Bible study in the Making Work Work series, that we would be preaching on this, as, I would be preaching on this this morning, but it's one that, a, a topic I've never actually preached on before. And it's a topic that I've heard very few sermons on. And I was thinking back over my time in ministry. I started a, uh, a ministry traineeship in 2011, uh, primarily doing youth and children's work in that time. And I think in the last 10 years, I've specifically focused on this topic three times. It's part of everyday life. But we just don't really talk about it all that much because it's awkward. 
and I was a pastor who is given a stipend by the church, talking about money, it can look as if this is just a money grab. Give more to the church so I can be comfortable. I want to say that's not where we're going with any of this this morning. We're seeing how we can wisely manage the things that God blesses us with for his glory. Now, a few weeks ago when I, um, I shared with a, a recently retired minister that I was going to be preaching on this, um, he told me that this is, in pastoral care, the topic that had come up almost more than any other topic, people having money troubles or perhaps money, people having money and not knowing how to spend it. And he said people would come to him and ask him how to handle their money. He was in ministry for over 30 years. And he said his response had always been, if you give me some of yours, I'll be better experienced to give you a better answer. (laughs) Now, I have only been ordained for two and a half years. But I've had a lot of chats with people, not just here, but also in other places, of I'm not up to, I'm I'm not sure I can manage the cost of living to... Uh, people saying, I'm struggling to make ends meet. To people saying, God has blessed me in, in abundance uh, and how can I support other mission works as well as the local church? Another one we've heard is um, people have said, if we'd only spoken more about money in pre-marriage classes, we'd probably be in a better position in our marriage than we are right now. And money is one of these topics that comes up a lot. In the life of the church is sometimes not too far out of mind. A saying, which I think is actually, we, as we saw a few weeks ago in Bible study, is not quite right. Money is the root of all evil. I think we can foster that attitude. Money is the root of all evil. Now, what the Bible actually says is the love of money is the root of all evil. But sometimes we attribute negative thoughts to finances and wealth and money. And we say money is the root of all evil. And if you can only serve one master, God or money, then maybe we just see money as a necessary evil. Maybe we've come to this understanding that we simply need money to get by in the world in which we live today. If you don't have money, you can't buy bread. If you don't have money, you don't have a roof over your head. If you don't have money, you can't even get water because you have to pay for water today. Water meters are a silly idea, but that's beside the point. Uh, Maybe we just see wealth, finances, all these sorts of things as just necessary evils. Part of life, we put up with it, and that's all we really go to. Last week, the Apostle Paul, at the end of his letter to the Philippians commended the church there for their Christian generosity. They had sent to Paul a gift, which given his nature and the way Paul writes, was almost entirely, we can presume, monetary. He speaks there when he was in Macedonia. No other church supported him, but the church in Philippi did. Should we really have such a dim view of money if Paul goes so far as to spend a lot of verses commending the church on their use of their finances. Now this topic can be difficult because maybe we we have enough to be able to get by very comfortably. Maybe we barely scrape by. 
regardless of where we find ourselves on that spectrum, maybe somewhere in between. God has granted to each one of us some measure of wealth, some measure of possessions. In the midst of this swirling plethora of ideas and and presuppositions that we bring to the table, it can be hard to land somewhere definitive. And hopefully today we'll be better equipped to to live in a God-honouring way with our finances, a God-honouring way based on God's word. And it's important that we have scripture as our foundation for this. Because where sometimes we might feel we're doing okay financially until a building comes in that we weren't expecting and all of a sudden our view on money changes, what God's word has to say about money doesn't change. We have to be grounded in scripture on this. Now, we're looking at two things this morning. Now, it's a fairly long introduction there to get us into this topic. But we're really looking at two things this morning. Firstly, should we have personal possessions? Because this is a much contested topic. And secondly, stewardship of personal wealth. Now, presumably I'm going to answer the first one with yes, then move into how do we manage our wealth. But we need to see what God has to say about it first. Now, Dealing first with this question, is personal wealth okay as a Christian? One of the most common places we turn to in Scripture is Acts chapter 2. Now, normally we read verses 42 to 47 on its own, but I think it's helpful to, to read what we did this morning, is of going back to verse 40 as well. And in those verses, as short as it is, we're given a, a pretty comprehensive snapshot of what life in the early, thing, early church was like. Now, one of the things that really stands out in that passage is that there seems to be this sense of, of sharing what they had and a real sense of communal living that the early church had. Now, we, we see that coming through the, those verses together, uh, particularly in verse 45, most clearly, where they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds, as it were, to, to all, uh, to, any as, to any who had need. I think it's from here that we really result with the question of should Christians have personal, not collective for the church, but should Christians have personal wealth and possessions? Now, if all we had to guide us in answering that question, then Maybe what we read here in Acts 2, 42 to 47 would lead us to say no Christian should not have personal possessions. And many read this and come to this conclusion. Maybe you're going, how do you do that today? Well, there's a small group uh, that they claim to be Christian. Uh, well, that's as far as I'll go with that. There's a small group who live about 50 minutes north of here. Now, pretty much every member of this church live on the same street. They were sold up where they lived previously, bought every block of land on this street that was being developed, and they lived there together. Collectively, the church bought these houses. Now, each one of those people, in a sense, owns that house, but the proceeds are split evenly so that if 
the, the church all lives together there. And if anyone in that street's lacking, they, they all pull together and help each other out. Maybe we look at Acts chapter 2 and say, it's just not possible in today's day and age for us to live like that. But maybe this church is showing that, you know, that, that, that's possible only about an hour north of here. And if it is possible, why do more churches not encourage this? Maybe greed is preventing generosity. Maybe that Australian attitude of it'll be right, she'll be right, I can figure this out, is coming through too strongly in our churches. Now, while that church, what that church does, and that in some ways is very commendable, it's not necessarily the only way to understand Scripture when it comes to personal possession. On a grand scale, at a high level, I think it would actually be impossible for us to argue that personal wealth and possessions are wrong and ungodly. Psalm 50, verse 10 and 11. Reading this from the ESV, it's a bit more familiar in my mind, still this passage in the ESV. We read there, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves on the fields is mine. Those are the words of God himself. And God tells us that he owns things. That God himself has personal possessions. And what we can then deduce from that is that personal possessions in and of themselves are not the issue. The issue tends to be how we manage personal possessions. See, in that psalm, God is saying in beautiful and poetic language that there is nothing in existence that does not belong to him, and that's affirmed by Colossians chapter 1. As we read in our call to worship, there is nothing that God needs from anyone. Everything is God. The cattle on a thousand hills, that, that thousand number there, along with the number of 12, is often used as completion in the Old Testament. Everything belongs to God. Every bird, everything that moves, no matter how big or small, even the Leviathan, whatever that is that's mentioned in Job, it all belongs to God. He is infinitely rich with personal possessions. We prayed this morning, even though we don't pass around the offering bag or the, at, at the moment, that we are thankful to give back to God a portion of what he first gave to us. That's out of what he has blessed us with. See, this question of whether personal possessions are okay, I think we, we see enough in Scripture to say it is okay to have personal possessions. It's okay to have personal wealth. Now, some contend that and say that it's only by God's holy nature, his impure, uh, his completely pure rather, we're the impure ones, his completely pure nature allows him to have possessions without being corrupted. Perhaps Psalm 50 is just a reminder to us that we can't apply anthropomorphic or, or human attributes to God because he is so far above us. But again, I don't think we can boil it down to just that. More evidences for my point is in Acts chapter 5. We mentioned these people last week, Ananias and Sapphira. 
Many of us know that story. They were struck down for lying to God about what they had given to him. They were not struck down for keeping some of the proceeds from their property sales for themselves. They were struck down not for the act of owning something for themselves. They were struck down for the act of lying to God. So we may struggle with personal wealth. Maybe we hold too tightly onto the things that we have. Maybe we just don't care enough about the things that God's blessed us with. The fact remains the Bible does not tell us or imply that personal wealth is wrong. So the issue becomes then, how do we go about using those things that God has blessed us with, whether that be lots or a little, for his glory? So we move now into exploring that, managing personal wealth. As we do this, as, as, I, as I mentioned last week, as Paul in Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 to 20 commends the church in Philippi for their gift to him, that the gospel work might continue, he makes it very clear that the giving of physical things, which wasn't just an electronic bank transaction at the time, the giving of physical money was not just a physical act. There was a spiritual act that the church committed to doing there. Each Christian gave in a spiritual manner. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And in last week we saw that Paul said that even though the Philippians were a long way away from where he was ministering, they were actually joining with him in the trials and also the triumphs of the gospel work. There was a spiritual importance to giving. Now there's a book that I find very, very helpful. A book by a guy called Donald S. Whitney. Now the title might not sound appealing, but it's really, really helpful. The book is called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Now, disciplines don't sound fun, but it's helpful. It's edifying to read this book. Now he has this to say about money. He says this, Disciplined use of our money requires that we manage it in such a way that the needs of those in our family are met. In fact, the Bible denounces any professing Christian who fails to care for the physical needs of his family because of physical irresponsibility, slothful management or waste as a hypocrite. Whitney continues to say that if a professing Christian fails, not because of lack of funds, not because of his company going bankrupt, not because of changing financial circumstances around him, that he can no longer put money on the ta- uh, put food on the table for his family's, to meet his family's needs, but if he cannot provide for his family because of mismanagement of funds, they fall into a very dangerous place. As Christians, we must take very seriously what we read in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Perhaps you thought that was an extreme thing for him to say, that it's waste as a hypocrite. But look at 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, 
Again, this is because of irresponsibility, not changing circumstances outside of themselves. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is a very, very serious verse in Scripture. Surrounding that, a verse is all about caring for those in the family who who, who can't care for themselves, widows, orphans, these sorts of people. So in looking at Acts 2, Psalm 50, Acts chapter 5, 1 Timothy 5, we're beginning to build a, a holistic view given to us in Scripture that, as we've already said, personal possession is not wrong, but how to handle that. How do we fulfill biblical commands given to us in 1 Peter chapter 4 to be good stewards? Because I seriously doubt that anyone in this room today wants to fall into the category of the man in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 8 where they are described as being worse than an unbeliever. Somebody who has claimed the name of Christ but shown through their actions that they have no regard for the Christian faith whatsoever. That they are like that, that young widow who, who marries for the sake of companionship that Peter, uh, Paul goes on to talk about, and in doing that, abandons the faith, abandons her first love. This is not where we want to be. Now, while we didn't read it, if you were going to flip over to, to 1 Peter chapter 4, along with the other scriptures that have been mentioned already. Peter begins to outline there the realities of Christian life which do tie into managing our finances. And I'll say that our finances are often a good test to ourselves of our spiritual well-being. Uh, Sam Chan, who works for the City Bible Forum down in Sydney, he describes two things that we don't talk about with other people these days. Religion and money. If you were to ask somebody else in the church how they're going in their spiritual health, what are the things that you'd ask them about? You'd ask them about whether, if they're married, they're spending time, quality time with their husband or wife. If they have children, are you spending quality time as a family? Are you doing family devotions? Are you doing devotions together as a couple? These are the sorts of things we ask, but we don't really ask about money. But money is also an indicator of our spiritual well-being. So in 1 Peter chapter 4, we outline some realities of Christian life. He starts in the first verse that... The, We're to suffer just as Christ suffered in the flesh. And we must prepare ourselves to suffer in our resistance to sin. It's very easy to fall into sin with how we handle money. And then in verse 9, we are not to fall into debauchery. We're meant to live as we've been called to live by the Spirit. That is living as holy witnesses of our holy God. As Christians, 
As we have professed in song a few times already this morning and a lot more times before this morning, as we read in the Bible, as we have prayed, we have been freed from sin by the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. We have been freed from the weight and the guilt of sin that we might be able to fulfil our creational mandate, the reason that God made us, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, while we may not talk all that much about money, money is part of how we do that. With our money, we must be seeking to glorify God and enjoy him together. It's not just tucked off to the side just for us to know about. This is often a great indicator of our spiritual vitality. And again, 2 Corinthians 9, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Reflective of the changed attitude in the life of the Christian, where we don't just hold tightly to those things that we think we've earned for ourselves, but we are godly with the things he has blessed us with. Now, 1 Peter chapter 4, again, it talks about hospitality. In some ways, this is an extension of how we use our personal wealth and possessions. If you've been blessed with a roof over your head, are you using that as a place where you can invite people to come and be encouraged in the faith? Are you using that as a place where where non-Christian friends and families and co-workers can come over and see the love of God on display as you go about your day-to-day business with that possession God has given to you? Do we do this without grumbling as 1 Peter 4.10 tells us to do, or do we just do it out of obligation? It can be hard to invite people over. Some people are simply more introverted than others, and others are more extroverted and just love to be around people. That is something that in family life has to be considered. And is smiling at me now because that's an area I felt very badly early in our marriage. We might have had seven people with keys to a very small apartment. It came and went whenever. We had to put some boundaries in place for the sake of our marriage, but we have to be generous still. We can be sensible to one another in our family, but still be generous with the things that God has given us. And when you have people over, when you engage in hospitality, using our wealth to buy food, using our house to welcome people in and share the love of God together. Again, do you do it with joy in your heart and out of a desire to see God glorified? Is this how we're using the things that God has blessed us with? Now, that's pretty generic. and We don't have time to dive into it in all of its intricacies. But I'm sure many of us have heard about a lady called Rosaria Butterfield. Now, she used to be a uh, a very strong proponent of of lesbians. She was a lecturer in the United States. And she had this incredible conversion. She's now married to a Christian pastor. Uh, She's written a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Now, I didn't want to read this book when I first heard about it. 
I didn't want to read that book when I first heard about it because everybody who had read it told me they were convicted to be more hospitable with what they had. But it is worth reading to supplement what Scripture teaches. Now, in a lot of ways, we're talking perhaps more, more possessions than wealth itself, more than the actual dollars or monetary side of things. But the two really aren't all that different, are they? And the application of this, the two really aren't all that different. It, it, it may feel different to be generous with finances, to, to assist those who are struggling with bills and whatnot. Perhaps it feels more, more tangible to have given to someone who couldn't pay a bill. Perhaps it feels harder to see the, the dollars in our bank account going down. Perhaps we struggle with pride or, restraint, or, or over-restraint in those things that we perhaps need to consider. But the application of it is still very similar. As we read in 1 Timothy chapter 5, as it is supported by 1 Peter chapter 4, God's grace, God's grace has been poured out on each and every one of his children. And we are to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. From 1 Timothy Chapter 5, we see that where money is concerned, our first ministry, our first area of concern is to look after the family that God has blessed us with. It's a dangerous thing to not do that. Secondly, we are to look after the needs of the church as we see in Acts chapter 2. The place where believers from, from all over are brought together and united in Christ forever with God as our Heavenly Father. We are to support the church where we can. You know, that means that we are to ensure that no one goes in need. Now, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul speaks there particularly of of widows, because when you consider those who were most financially struggling, it, it, it was the widows as well as the orphans at the time when he wrote. If God has blessed you with finances and you have looked after your family and you're in a position to help, then we should have an attitude very different from Gollum in Lord of the Rings, who is so concerned about keeping his precious to himself. We should give generously to the church. The precious things that we have have been given to us by God and as Christians should be used for God's glory. And this, this can be a beautifully clear witness of what the church is all about. Showing the love of God. Do we glorify God with our money and our possessions? What a shame it would be for people to, to look at us as a church and to look at us as individuals and see greedy tight-fisted people who just can't manage our financial matters. What a shame that would be. 
What a poor witness that would be. Do we glorify God with our money and possessions, remembering that God is the one who owns all things, that God is the one who supplies all our needs through Christ Jesus? We are not to squander God's blessings, we are to use them. In our third category of using money, which we haven't spoke about yet, but I'll just touch on very quickly, is what if we have extra after looking after our family and giving to the church? I believe there is scope to be able to enjoy things in life. So long as we are not spending them on illegal, immoral substances, there is still some scope to enjoy God. But firstly, we must, we must look after our families. We must look after the church and then be wise with what's left over. Enjoying life is not wrong. But enjoying life more, enjoying the things we can buy and have now more than we enjoy God, that's where it becomes wrong. What does the way that you and I spend our money say about our relationship with God? Because God has seen fit to bless us. Some with a little, others with a lot perhaps. Whatever we have here though, whatever we have here, know that our real inheritance, the lasting inheritance is that eternity we look forward to with God with what God has blessed us with right now, let's use those things as a means to bring God glory and honour and praise. We are here to glorify and enjoy God. We we, we can be tempted to to see wealth as something which is terrible or shameful, but it's not those things. These are means that God has given to us to exalt his name. And that is what we are called to do. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for so many parts of your word that we have been able to touch on this morning to begin to give us a a fuller understanding of, of how we are to handle those things that you have blessed us with. Lord God, we pray that you might protect us from a spirit of miserliness where we just seek to build up for ourselves. We pray likewise, O God, that you would protect us from a spirit of complete frivolity where we have no regard for the things that you have blessed us with. Lord God, we pray that with those things you have given us, that we truly might exalt you, that through our use of everything you have given us, gifts, abilities, possessions, whatever it might be, we pray that we might be a clear, loud witness to the glory of your name. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. We're going to sing our final song together now. Uh, It's from Psalm 24. The whole earth 
is the Lord's. Let's stand and lift our voices.